When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. What's happening, everybody? Welcome into a brand new episode of Crossed Up. Anthony Sanfilippo is here. I'm Bob Wankel. And the Phillies coming off of a third straight victory. They take both games against the Toronto Blue Jays, a very good Toronto Blue Jays team that both Anthony and myself, before the season started, predicted to win the American League. So uh, I know it wasn't the prettiest of, of wins on Wednesday, but they, they get it done. They've strung together a few good wins now, Anthony. And one of the things that we've harped on quite a bit uh, throughout the first, whatever it's been now, six, seven weeks of this season has been the lack of starting pitching, the inconsistency of the starting pitching. And sometimes baseball is a simple game. And it's it's so simple in that the Phillies for the last three games have gotten three very good starts from, you know, whether it be Taiwan Walker, whether it be Aaron Nola, whether it be Zach Wheeler, you know, th- those three guys, their last three times out now, all three of them quality starts. They're giving them some length. And here they are. They've strung together some wins now. So they, they have the Rockies playing good baseball heading into this weekend. But a nice stabilizing week for the Phillies here. Yeah, it, it really was. It coming off of perhaps their worst week of the season. Uh, and that's saying something considering how they started the season one and five, right? And so if you start the season one and five and have a worse week than that later on, man, that had to be a bad week. Um, but you're right. Starting pitching, I mean, look, that's what it always comes down to, Bob, right? I mean, we always sit here. We could talk about the offense all we want. But really, if you want to be a successful team in baseball, it's going to come down to your pitching. Um, and uh, the Phillies starting staff has left a lot to be desired to this point in the season. Um, Zach Wheeler on Wednesday afternoon threw the best start of the year for any pitcher. Uh, he was really, really good. Yeah, he gave up the solo home run. Um, that looked like it was going to doom the Phillies going into the ninth inning. Um, but other than that, he, it, he was phenomenal. Uh, really, the Blue Jays had no answers for him. Um, uh, Nola had an encouraging start uh, the day before in the sense that um, he, you know, he pitched well. Uh, he had a couple of innings where it could have gotten away from him, and we've seen it get away from him in starts this year, and he was able to pitch out of trouble. Plus, his velocity was up for the first time this year, which was a good thing. Taiwan Walker was the one that that really impressed me, um, and that was Sunday against Boston. Um, they really just kind of simplified what he was throwing. Guy can throw like seven pitches. I mean, let's be honest. He's got like this, this crazy-ass arsenal. Um, and he just basically went, you know what? We're going to go fastball splitter. That's pretty much what he did. I mean, fastball sinker splitter, right? I mean, uh, his his third, fourth, fifth, seventh pitches, he threw maybe eight total combined between them all for the entirety of the game. It was all it was a two pitch mix, pretty much, um, and he dominated. That splitter was awesome against a Red Sox lineup that had been hitting everybody, including the Phillies, the two games prior. So those three those three starts should encourage. Again, it's one start per guy. Right. So you got to say, okay, let's see them do it again a second time. Uh, We're going to see Walker tonight in Colorado. You're going to see Nola again Sunday against the Rockies. Um, And then you got uh, Wheeler on Monday against the Giants. But the more important thing is 
we get Ranger Suarez back into the rotation on Saturday uh, as Bailey Falter's been pushed back. Uh, probably a good thing there. And, and it's it, it's something to be excited about and look forward to, even though Colorado can tend to be a house of horrors for any pitching staff, especially the Phillies. Yeah, so the Phillies come into this series against the Rockies at 18 and 19 now, a game under 500. And if they win the series, they will get through the first 40 games of the season at 500 if they take two out of three. And given where they've started and, and given some of the inconsistencies that they've had, um, I would not be thrilled by that. I mean, I'm not going to sit here and tell you that 20 and 20 after 40 games is something that this team needs to celebrate. But when you talk about where they were last Saturday night, where they were after five games this season, I think in fairness, you'd say, like, okay, like every time that they've stumbled, one of the things that we know about this team, one of the things that we saw last year was that when they started to stumble, and it looked like things were getting away from them, they would always find a way to do enough to find their footing and sort of stabilize. Mm -hmm. And to their credit, and though I will be very critical of the fact that they are stumbling at times, they have shown, again, an ability to sort of right the ship for stretches where they can sort of at least say, all right, like we haven't wrecked our season here. Like we haven't we haven't blown we, we haven't fallen 12 games behind the Braves. We haven't fallen seven games under 500. Like they've they've always been able to kind of come back and stay at that at that 500 mark, but it's time for this team to sort of get going and and get over that hump now. Now, you know, I, I got to tell you. I mean, you look at Colorado and we know that the Rockies aren't a particularly good team, but you know, I think two things give you a little bit of pause going into this series. One, the Phillies struggle in Colorado. Uh, the Rockies have, even in their last few seasons in which they played pretty bad baseball, they've been formidable at home, but Colorado is also eight and two in their last 10 games right now. So the Phillies are catching a bad team or what I think is a bad team still at maybe the wrong time, or you could look at it and say, perhaps Colorado is just sort of, uh, you know, they're due to fall off here. Yeah, I mean, look, they, they've played good baseball, but we already saw this lineup and we know it's not a good one. Right, even though the the Phillies won three out of four against them when they were here, the first night was an embarrassment. They got shut out by the Rockies. Um, Ryan Feltner shut them out of all people. They're going to see him again. Uh, I think uh, he pitches Saturday's game. Um, yeah, yeah uh, so that that's the one game. It was like, oh boy. Um, my bigger concern is not necessarily the Rockies, but the Phillies. I think the lineup's a little inconsistent right now. Um, <laughs> I, I, yeah. I mean, you only got a couple of guys that are really kind of going, uh, and you got a couple of guys who are kind of under the radar bad lately. I mean, they, nobody's really talking about the fact that that Alec Bohm's not hitting, and nobody's talking about the fact that Bryson Stott's in a really bad slump. And, you know, Brandon Marsh is still getting on base, and he gets a hit here and there, and um, but he's also kind of tailed off a little bit from that incredibly hot start that he's had and and then we you know we've talked about Schwarber and Turner a ton Turner right now has the emptiest 10 game hitting streak I've ever seen um and and so those guys aren't really there so really you're getting production from well Harper's been Harper uh Nick Castellanos continues to be the, the best offensive player on the team and Real Muto's been okay and that's pretty much it Sosa's been okay out of the nine hole um but really, you're not getting enough offense. And I, and I think that this is – look, you're going into a ballpark and against a pitching staff that you should hit and where you should hit. This needs to be a weekend where the offense kind of comes alive to me. If they don't, even if they win the series, right, even if they win this series, 
and it's more won by their pitching staff and not by the lineup, I'm going to start to have a little bit of concern because you're six weeks in and you need a little bit more consistency from these guys. Yeah, you're absolutely right. And listen, I was there on. Did you cover the game uh, on on Wednesday? Were yes, you, I was there. Okay, so I, I was there. I got we got the, the reason that nothing ended up on the site was because of the Flyers related stuff. They ended up hiring a president, so I ended up getting tied up with other other things. But yes, I was there in the building. I heard about that. Uh, so <laughs> I uh, took my father on Wednesday, and we, we hey, big spender. We sat in the Diamond Club. We were actually in <laughs> Section D. 14 rows up. It's the best the best seats I've ever had to a, a baseball game, and that includes anything in a press box, too. Yeah. Um, and just watching Gaussman and and Wheeler go at it, I mean, both of them were awesome. Um, you know, it was maybe the weirdest walk-off win that I've I've ever been to. Um, but one of the things that you know jumps out at you is just you're right. I mean, you look at this lineup, and I don't want to belabor some of the things that we talked about on Monday, but the guys that were carrying you early on, we always put the disclaimer on it. Like, Hey, it's only been a couple weeks here. You you're not expecting Alec Boehm to hit 335 with a 900 OPS this season. And I don't expect Bryson Stott to win a national league batting title, but at the same time, I, I have to tell you, I'm a little bit disappointed in the two of them, especially. And, you know, that game on Wednesday, I think that there were two at bats specifically that, that kind of highlighted uh, moments in which you sort of scratch your head a little bit. And, you know, Bryson Stott, comes up and I guess it was what the was it the eighth inning I want to say or the was it the eighth or the ninth he comes it was up the ninth when he needed to get the bunt down he doesn't yeah. get the bunt down and you're kind of like what what are we doing here and then you have Alec Bohm has a chance to win the game later in the ninth with the runner on third base and less than two outs and the, that's really the bat I want to talk about what he does is he ends up grounding out the first base you get a three two put out at the plate and it was a disappointing sequence for me in that it's sort of representative of what we've seen a lot from him lately. He's gone back to being like this slap and punch hitter. And earlier in the season, you know, even if the extra base hits weren't piling up, there was a lot of hard contact, a lot of line drive contact. And lately you're starting to see the ball on the ground a lot. Again, you're looking at a hitter that just seems like he's completely lost his confidence. And I wouldn't really care about that in a, a two-week or three-week sample size. But when you look at the larger body of work of Alec Bohm, the highs have been so high and the lows have been so low that there has to be at least a little bit of concern like, oh, boy, here we go again with another with another instance in which this guy has just completely lost it again. And, and you know, I, I'm not quite there yet, but I do think it's, like, worth considering. I mean, you look at his last 15 games – Sitting 218 with a 562 OPS. But if you stretch that out to 2025 games, the numbers aren't much better. So it's not like the numbers are deflated because I'm cherry picking a sample here. Like he's been pretty bad for about a month now. He really has. Um, and it's, it, you know, I, I don't know what, this, what, what the answer is. I mean, I, he, he can't be a guy in this lineup on a daily basis. And they need him right now, right? Because you don't really have a first baseman, so they need him in the lineup. But he can't be a guy who's in there on a daily basis just not giving you anything. And he here and there, he gets that hit, right? You know, I mean, he's he's actually still pretty good with runners in scoring position. Um, so that's like one thing that you can still kind of maybe little hang your hat on. Um, but, but yeah, I mean, it, it's almost like beginning of the season, he was coming up to bat and you were like, dude's going to come up and get a hit 
or get on base. Like he's just that dialed in. Now he comes up and it's like, yeah, this is probably gonna be an out. <laughs> like that's that's where we've gone with him, right? I mean, it's it's been such a one eighty, um, and quick. Like it happened quick, uh, and it's it's like you said, it's an extended time, but it was almost like it happened overnight that he went from being a guy you can trust to being a guy that you don't expect much out of. Yeah, and they I mean, need, to just give you a number need, here. Over his yeah. last 30 games, he has a 611 OPS. And you're talking about a corner infielder. I yeah. mean, that's the other part of it, too. You're not talking about – I mean, 611 OPS doesn't play anywhere. But he's your first baseman. you, you got to have more than that. No, no doubt. No doubt. Now, Thompson did say, and I'm cu- curious as to what game he feels this is going to be the case, but he said he was, he was going to get him at third base – uh in this Colorado series he said there was a game in the Colorado series where, where he felt like he can they wanted to get him a game at third base I, I, I'm not sure who that's going to be against I doubt it's tonight because it's a lefty on the mound in in Gomber um so you're not going to give uh you know Cle- Cody Clemens a start at first base against the lefty Freeland on Sunday so it's going to be Saturday right. night if that happens I, I, against Feltner but then what so what's what does that look like is that is that just taking Sosa out of the game out of the lineup and putting giving Clemens a start is that all that is I mean maybe <laughs> like yeah. I guess I guess that's it but you know I, I I need to see I need to see more and and the thing of it is it's like when you're in this kind of slump maybe a game a, a day off for Alec Bohm might not be the worst thing in the world you know, or just or give him a day, a day at DH and, you know, out of the field kind of thing. And, you know, let's see if that helps at all. Um, but, yeah, he's a struggle. He's struggling, man. And and he doesn't look, you know, I don't like the body language. I don't like his how he how he looks in the clubhouse after the games. He just looks annoyed with himself. Um, it's it's something that it's, it's tangible. It's tangible. Because he, he has this great finish to last season. He comes out of the gates hot this season, and he's probably thinking to himself, like, I've I figured it out. I've turned the corner. I mean, the things that we were talking about on this show are probably things that he himself felt like, wow, like this guy might might be a 320 hitter, or there may be that 25 home run potential in, in his bat. And he's probably thinking, like, I finally, after all of this turbulence, have, I've, I've solved it. And – and now here we are for the last few weeks, and it's been the total opposite. And you know he's a player. We saw this at the beginning of last year. He is a guy that wears those failures. Like, he's got to find a way. And I'm not saying that this is the only reason that he's struggling. Like, I'm not saying that he's mentally soft. I'm not saying that he's mentally weak or that he's just beating himself up, and that's why he's not hitting. But there's a there is a precedent here that would let you know that he's taking this very, very hard right now. And it probably, probably is impacting his game. A hundred percent, a hundred percent. And he's, and we know from the, from past experience that this is the kind of thing that happens with this guy, right? I mean, he's a guy who lets things weigh on him a little bit. Um, I think it's a situation where he's probably going to need uh, somebody, you know, some leadership to kind of come, come over to him and, you know, kind of get him right again. Um, I think Schwarber was a guy last year. Hoskins was a guy, obviously Hoskins isn't there. Uh, right now so but th- these are guys that were were really important to getting him refocused and uh, again and maybe that's what he needs maybe he needs a little bit of a pick-me-up from a teammate um 
uh, to kind of get back on the right. Who knows? I mean, I, he just needs something to kind of get going back in the other direction. He he needs to run into accidentally run into a home run or something. Like, I mean, it just yeah. needs to be something that that just kind of goes his way and kind of gets the malaise out of him because it, it's visible. It's really there. You can see it. The other guy, uh, and my my father kind of he's the one that was you got to talk about this on your next show or sitting there watching he goes what what the hell is going on with the second baseman he's like he's got yeah. nothing and, and he's like what i and what he meant was like not only is he not hitting but like he doesn't he just looks lethargic right now i mean he, he like kind of going through the motions another young player who i think is struggling who is probably feeling that a little bit gets off to a great start probably also feels that he's turned the corner and I mean, listen, Bryson Stott, his last 30 games, and we talked about this on Monday, and I don't want to spend too much time on this, but when we were going over the, the leadoff spot in this lineup and talking about the imperfect solution of going back to Bryson Stott, I mean, not only is it an imperfect solution, but now you run his 30 game totals, his last 30 games, he has a 285 on base percentage. And that's your leadoff hitter right now. And when you watch him, like if I were just a scout, forget all like the advanced numbers, because I'll tell you what, I actually just looked as we were, we were going back and forth here. I just looked at his baseball savant page, his stat cast page. And I'm stunned to learn that, that Bryson Stott's hitting 303 against fastballs this season. Because right now when I watch him, he looks like a guy that simply cannot turn on anything with mid nineties plus velocity. Like he just can't get there. And I know a lot of them are flares out the left field, but when I watch his game, like, I don't think he's a 20 home run guy. I don't think he's an, you know, 17, 18 home run guy, but like, there's gotta be something. There's gotta be some pool action in his game at some point, because a lot of those dinks and donks and flares out the left, left center that were dropping in April. They're not anymore. Like there's gotta be, there's gotta be something else there now. Yeah, and, and the other thing that I've noticed is, you know, one of the things that they really worked on with him in the offseason and in spring training was how to adjust to that high fastball, right? I mean, and we saw it early in the season. He was more on top of that pitch and, and really driving it, like, at the, at the very beginning of the season, first week of the season, first two weeks of the season. Now he looks like he's, he's behind it again and chasing it again, um, kind of falling into that same – rut that he was in a season ago and that's how pitchers were attacking him with those with those fastballs up he needs to get back to whatever whatever he was doing mechanically in spring training and the beginning of the year I think has has kind of left him and he's got to get back to that so that those those pitches up there in the zone he can lay off of or if they're within you know within his swing plane he can hit it with a more of a line drive um once he gets back to that, I think you'll see an, an ability to get around a little bit better on some of these fastballs. Other, otherwise, I think he's guessing a little bit. I think he's going up there kind of being a guess hitter. And that's why you're seeing, you know, they love the fact that he fouls off a lot of pitches, right? Well, that's good. That's That works a pitcher. That gets you into the bullpen faster. That's always a good thing. But I also think that the, a lot of those pitches are pitches he could probably drive if he wasn't up there just trying to guess at what's coming next, we're just trying to spoil, you know, a pitch to get one that he wants in a certain spot, which maybe he's not going to get. And that's, you know, the other teams know where his happy zone is. They're not going to put a ball there um, intentionally anyway. So maybe, maybe stop trying to do something like that and, and just go after, just go after a pitch, man. I'd rather see you strike out. And I don't, this is listen to me who doesn't like strikeouts, but I'd rather see you swing and miss at a pitch with a little bit more aggression 
right, with two strikes, then constantly hacking away and just fouling them off and fouling them off and then maybe hit that flare signal or you're going to pop up or whatever it ends up you end up doing just to kind of get going again. I'm not saying on a regular basis. I'm cool with the foul balls. I really am. I just think that he is so stuck in that right now that it's preventing him from driving the ball. I just want to see him a couple of swings, be aggressive, make good contact. Then you can go back to this again a little bit, you know, and have find that happy medium. So that's that's what I need to see out of Bryson Stott. Yeah, and in fairness, listen, we're going week to week here. We do a show twice a week. We take what we're we're most recently have watched. Yeah. You know, like we said, when things were going well, we're like, do I expect this to continue for 160 games? No, I don't. Do I expect Bryson Stott to hit a buck 85 for the next two months? I don't. You know, like, so – we understand here, obviously, that there's an ebb and flow to this entire thing, but there are some trends that you kind of just look at, and you're, it's hard not to be a little bit concerned. And like I said, sitting there Wednesday watching the game, and you appreciate how how Gaussman threw the ball. He was awesome. Yeah. And Wheeler almost matched him pitch for pitch. Broken bats. like I mean, they yeah. must have went through 14 bats, or yeah. broken bats in that game on, on Wednesday. And But it, it is hard as you watch this Phillies lineup right now. You kind of just feel like, and I know they scored a little bit on Sunday. They scored a little bit on Tuesday night. But when you go through and you just player by player and you're looking at this thing, you're like, man, there's so many guys all at once that are struggling. But I think the good news is if you're a Phillies fan, you're looking at this and saying, like, how much longer is Kyle Schwarber going to hit 180? Like that hot streak that everybody's been sitting on, like it's got to probably be coming, right? Yeah, a couple much- weeks. It'll be June. Yeah. It's it'll June, and I mean it sounds so stupid, but like I don't think that Kyle Schwarber is a a 183, 185 hitter. Now that being said, I I don't know where you're at on this, and I mean I don't think this is exactly breaking news, but it's clear as day that that, and and it sounds like excuse making, but it's clear as day that he is being impacted by some some type of lower body issue. Like there's just no doubt about it. All you have to do is see him jog out to left field to know. Like this doesn't take a, an, you know, an advanced eye to figure this out. Like there's something going on there. Now, obviously, he's healthy enough to play through it, but I, I think well, it's the Phillies. Like I almost feel like just acknowledge it. Just be like, hey, I, I have a my my knee swollen. My, I have an ankle issue. My hamstring's been tight. Like yeah. why not just say it? Like I'm good enough to play through, but it's impacting me. Yeah, I don't. I don't know. I I don't know why they they don't they don't say. It. I'll be curious to see now. You know, the Phillies have won three straight since they made the lineup switch, right, and put Stott back at the top and, and Schwarber in the middle. Does Stott stay in the leadoff spot against Gomber, being it's lefty-lefty? Lefty-lefty. I guess the, the question becomes, like, what is the – what's the alternative? And I, and I don't want to do this again. We did this on no, Monday. No, I, is, it I, I, yeah. is it Turner with his 10-game ten, ten hitting streak? <laughs> <laughs> well, no, I don't know. I don't know. I mean, I just – you know he's again with Stott struggling as much as he's as much as he's struggling, and he ha- does have a tendency, Rob Thompson, to you know sit Stott or sit Marsh or maybe even both against a left-handed pitcher. So the question question becomes, what does he what does he do with a lineup against a lefty? Now Gomber is not a tough lefty. Well, I I will say like you look at the ERA and you go okay six seven five and like he's he's not a, like a prospect. He's twenty nine years old. He's been around for a little bit. I, I agree. He's not a tough lefty, but in his last three starts, he's thrown 17 total innings, three earned runs allowed. Like yeah. he had a like train wreck, dumpster fire, just God awful start to the season. His last three times through, he's been pretty good. So like, 
he is riding a little bit of momentum coming into this start tonight. I agree. I actually think that, hey, like, let's see, let's see a Josh Harrison here tonight. Like, it, yeah. it might be time. Yeah, I mean, you know, I think you're going to see him. I think you might see Dalton Guthrie in the lineup again tonight. Um, I, the question is, how does it? How does he construct it? Like, does he go back to Schwarber in the leadoff spot again? I, I don't know. I mean, it, it's curious. I'm curious. I, but I, I, it would be, it would be interesting to maybe put one of those guys just for a game up there. Not to say that it's something you're going to do long term, but you know, hey, if you don't, if you're not confident in Stott against this left-hander. That doesn't necessarily mean you have to juggle everything back up. Just plug and play, right? Well, so that actually is an interesting question, and I think, or a different way to look at it, um, and we haven't talked about this. Are you okay in the absence of a, a solid leadoff option until one of these guys gets hot, until it, it kind of clicks and makes sense, or you say, this is what they should do? Because all of these different parts and all these different options are struggling, like, are you more of the mindset? Because I know traditionally, going back to when we used to do the show and Gabe Kapler was the manager, like you hated the, the constant night after night jumbling of the lineup. Like, mm-hmm. And players don't like it, too. The, the, the vast majority of players, they want the consistency. But, like, you know it. We know it here. Like, Trey Turner's not a great option to lead off spot right now. Bryson Stott, for obvious reasons that we've talked about. Kyle Schwarber's got awful. Bryce Harper doesn't want to do it. Al Boehm isn't that guy right now. Like, so you know that. Do, do you take it game by game and 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 keep these inconsistent lineups and, and just kind of roll it day to day? Or what do you do here? I'm 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 more like you said, I believe in trying to have some level of consistency, but I'm I'm cool with having different lineups versus a left-handed pitcher and a right-handed pitcher. Like if if you need to maximize guys' ability to hit lefties, right? Then then do so in that in that in that vein go right ahead but as long as it's like a, a consistent thing and not something that's constantly changing that's where i get a little annoyed when it's for no reason con- almost constantly changing like like you i believe in letting guys hit through their struggles i'm i'm on board with rob thompson with that i don't necessarily feel that they need to hit through lengthy struggles in the same spot if it becomes you know like, like where Schwarber was, I mean, it, it got to a point where it's like, all right, man, you know, he can hit through this, but he can't do it out of the leadoff spot. Um, so, yeah, I mean, I, I'm cool with that. I just don't want it to be every game you come in and you have no idea who's going to be where. Like, that's that drives me crazy. Uh, and I think it drives the players crazy. You're right. It drives the players crazy, too. So, But I'm cool with if they have a different lineup versus lefties against then against versus righties and you have a different person in the leadoff spot just because it's a left-handed pitcher, I'm, I'm fine with that. A lot of negativity here. <laughs> a lot of negativity. It's, it's weird because they're because they're they're they, you know they stabilized, right? I mean, it's kind of but we you have to identify what the issue is. I mean, we talked about the starting pitching. It's it was great. Yeah. It was great, yeah. right? I mean, that's the reason they've won three in a row more than anything else. I mean, yeah, like you said, they hit Sunday and they hit Tuesday, but it was the starting pitching was the real reason that the Phillies have won three straight games. Right. You know, but the lineup needs more consistency because you're not going to get great starts like that night in night out you know if you do then you're in great shape Uh, let me just shine a little a little bit of a positive light on things here (laughs) a player that we have swooned over on this show all season has been nick castellanos mvp baby 
Go yeah, club. Guy. Like, we, we are the official <laughs> podcast of, of Nick Castellanos. Um, I feel validated by this selfishly because when they signed him, yeah. I was like, this is the guy. And, and the things that I said at the time, because I sounded like a moron for 162 games <laughs> last year. But the things that I said at the time was like, yeah, listen, I, I like Kyle Schwarber. Like there could be some leadoff on base skills there if they want to go that direction. He can run into 30, 40 home runs. That's great. I'm all about it. But the guy that I want is Nick Castellanos because he's a doubles machine. He's an extra base hit machine and he plays with some fire. Like that's what I, that was my big thing. I was like, he's a dog, man. Like he's a guy that when like he scores, he comes back to the dugout, he's pumping the chest and the, the flap is open. He's, he's got some juice to him and he was a dial tone last season. Like just a total dial tone and he was unproductive. And I'm sure that those things were, you know, intertwined together, but here we are this year and he is all of those things. Like it is the, the, the Nick Castellanos that I have admired from afar, like going back to 2019, I had a tweet. I actually retweeted it a couple, couple weeks ago. I was like, the one player that can make a difference for this lineup, the deadline is Nick Castellanos. Like this has been a a multi-year admiration for me. And, you know, not only does he get off to the hot start, but you're like, well, you know, you figure he's probably going to come back to earth at some point. And he still probably will come back to earth a little bit. But you look at what he's done over the last two weeks, his last 15 games, 339, 909 OPS, three homers. He's in the middle of everything. He's been playing outstanding defense at times. Like he made a great play on Wednesday afternoon. Yeah. And he's running off the field for the third out. And the fans are going fucking crazy in right field, like down the first baseline, giving it to him, man. Like there is a, a different energy, just an absolute like electricity coming from this guy right now. And it has been awesome to watch. And I'm really happy for the guy on a personal level. Yeah, I am too. I, I've always been a fan of Castellanos. Um, I kind of felt like it, there were times last year where I was defending him. And I, and I felt bad doing so because he was really not good. And he was like, you know, hey, he, you know, he got, had that little bit of a wrist injury. Then he had the, you know, he started to hit again. And then he had the oblique injury. And that kind of like zapped him completely at the end. And, um, and, and, you know, like I kind of like was making excuses, but you're right. It's, it's a different personality. It's that, it's that FU personality that he has. That's, I bad. went for it today. I, I don't know. No, I, it I is. Went. All right. It's a fuck you personality. It is. I mean, <laughs> no, really, it's there. And, and, and it's, but it's, it's cool. And, and it's, it's, it's like you see it and you see him having fun. Um, and then even stuff like, like what he's been able to do. Like the Phillies are so good about letting him hang, have his son hang out with him. His son Liam's out in the outfield shagging flies during outfield practice. Uh, and then, you know, after the game, he's right behind the plate and he's celebrating with his dad. There was, I don't know if you saw the photo that that, the, that they got. It was awesome. I mean, so that kind of stuff, like having keeping Nick happy and, and keeping him that, you know, in that kind of frame of mind is what makes him such a good player. And, and you know, I'm, the Phillies are going to be lucky to have this guy for the next few years. They really are, especially if he has this approach and this mentality. He's locked in and he's been their he's been their best player hands down this season. And you know, the defense is the thing. And I asked Topper about it after the game. I'm like, well, all we talked about all you know all season so far is the work he's done with Kevin Long. But really, we should be talking a little bit about the work he's done with Paco Figueroa because yeah. he's it's a it's I'm not, not turning him. I mean, I joke that he's a gold glover, but 
he really has had – I think he's had one play where I went, yeah, he kind of missed. He really hurt them in that, that Dodgers finale. The, yeah, uh, that game against the Dodgers. He turned yes. a single into a triple. It really impacted the game. It was yeah. That was tough. But other than that, I mean, he's made some and, – and listen, you could talk about range. Like, I, I would be willing to admit that better jumps and better range, maybe some of the balls that he gets to that are that look difficult, a gold glove outfielder, coast – I don't know, whatever. Yeah. I'm yeah. just telling you that there have been plenty of plays this season where you go, it's a pretty damn nice play from a guy that you're not expecting that from. Exactly, exactly. Especially for a guy who that they, you know, when they brought him in, the whole plan was to kind of alternate him as a designated hitter because mm-hmm. they didn't think he could play defense. And now he's being forced to play every game. And it's like, yeah, he's good out there. <laughs> he's fine. He's not hurting us. So that's that's certainly a huge positive. And, that, and this is, I guess, where I kind of come back to is like we pick apart the lineup and we note all the struggles. I... I think my main takeaway, though, is, and it still just comes back to the starting pitching. Can you get the starting pitching stabilized? Because I think that Bryson Stott and Alec Bohm are better than this. I believe that Nick Castellanos is this guy. I know what Bryce Harper is. Kyle Schwarber, I will tell you, like, this was the first week where I I kind of was like, are we going to get the – the right version of him this season. And like, I'm not writing that off. We're only a quarter of the way through, but I I do have some concerns there, but even if you don't, and he still runs into 35, 40 home runs, he can be a useful player for you. I think that there is a world though, where they, they add to this lineup. And if Kyle Schwarber cannot increase, we'll say like the, the bat to ball skills. And like, if he can't get the on base percentage, like up to 320, 330, like there's a world where I think he becomes like a six hitter in this lineup, maybe even seventh. Um, I don't think we're there yet, but like he's got to get a little bit, like he's got to turn it on a little bit. So I think they can survive that much the way that they survived Nick Castellanos' struggles last year. Yeah, like I don't yeah. think it's dependent on him going off, but I, I look at this lineup and I just think, okay, like I know that there are parts that are good. I know that there are parts that are struggling and throw Trey Turner into that mix as well. I have to assume that there's more there. And I don't think you're ever going to see this lineup have eight, nine guys click all at once. Like, this is not how baseball works. But over the course of the, the final, you know, 120-plus games here, I think that there's enough there that offensively, I've said it all along, I would be surprised if the Phillies don't finish the season as a top-12 scoring offense. I still would be surprised by that. Yeah, I think you're right. and and I, But I do think you're right also to say that they're going to add to it. Um, I think that will come once – Harper can play first base. And I think Harper playing first base, you're probably still about a month at least, a month to six weeks out from that. So you got to kind of get... I just don't think that you're going to see that until after the All-Star break. I I don't. I know that I get why there's urgency to do it. I mean, getting Kyle Schwarber out of left field would be, would vastly improve the the defensive alignment and probably have a positive impact on his offense if I'm speculating that there's an injury correlation in play here. Yeah, I, I hear you. But, you know, you, I, I know that he said it publicly the other day, and then I think it was to one of the beats, he said something along the lines of, like, we know that I don't have to be on the field defensively this year. And, like, that kind of set off, like, a little bit of, like, an alarm where I was like, that's an interesting thing to say. Yeah. I'm, I'm kind of curious. I am curious. Like, I think – I'm with you. Like, I think he ends up playing first base for this team this season – but I'm not absolutely 100% sold on that. Yeah, I mean, I, I, I was like, that was my initial reaction when I first saw him 
taking grounders there. I'm like, I, I'm not convinced this is what they want to do. But I do think that it it creates flexibility. I'm not saying he's going to play first base all the time. I'm not saying he's going to be the regular first baseman. But the ability to do so, to allow you to move the DH around that lineup and get guys off their feet, will help a Schwarber. Will help a will help a cast even help Castellanos, even though he's playing really well in left field. Uh, will help Alec Bohm. Will will you know? I know they don't really do it with the catcher, but maybe once or twice, you know, in the second half of the season, you, you get JT Romuto in just a DH spot and not and not catching a game or something. Who uh, knows? Are you like a little surprised? I, I sometimes I like look at the lineup and I, there's they're missing a piece, and it's because Reese Hoskins. I mean, Reese yeah. Hoskins is the whole like the whole yes. impetus of this entire thing. But sometimes I wonder, like, wouldn't it make sense to? Garrett Stubbs gave them more offensively than they could have reasonably expected last year. And I'm sure. not pining to have Garrett Stubbs play twice a week, but I am a little bit surprised that they haven't trotted out a Stubbs real Muto combination. Me just too. Get Boom or Sosa off their feet a, a day or two. Like I'm not saying I'm not advocating for JT real Muto to play first base even once a week, but like yeah. occasionally, like yeah. just occasionally mix that in. I agree. And it's not just for, I mean, even let's say you wanted to give Turner a day. Like you could slide Sosa to short, put Bohm at third, and JT at first. I mean, something along those lines. I mean, you could you could, there's a lot of things you can do in that regard. Um, so yeah, I am a little surprised that they keep trotting the same guys out. They're not, you know, jo- I'm a little surprised Josh Harrison hasn't had a, a bigger opportunity or Garrett Stubbs hasn't had a bigger opportunity. Um, I, I don't know. It'll be interesting to see. I I, I just think that 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 they're going to f- try and find something else probably another outfielder in my mind or first baseman obviously but I think I ultimately wouldn't be surprised if they went and try and found try and got an outfielder if Harper can play first base down the line and then you can kind of have Schwarber as your primary designated hitter I think that that's something that that is a legitimate thing that could be happening before the July 31 trade deadline uh I want to mention a player here that that has sort of gotten lost in the Lehigh shuffle but uh Jake Cave, since he's gone down to AAA, yeah. uh, has made the most of that opportunity. And to the point where I, I think he's almost worth mentioning, I, we don't typically dive into what's happening in the sub-levels here. Yeah. But I would just point out that he's hitting in, I, I think it's been eight or nine games now, 35 at-bats. He's hitting 457 yeah. with a 1.313 OPS, and he's hit safely in every game that he's played with the Iron Pigs. And he also has, let's see, one, two, three, four, five, six. He's played nine games with them, eight games with them. Six of them have been multi-hit games. He's tearing the cover off the baseball. And I'm not saying that he's a solution, but I do think when you look at this team's like lack of depth, they're struggling to score runs. Like I do think that Jake Cave is just just within arm's reach here of being back on this roster. Yeah, I mean, well, ultimately, I mean, you know, the decision that was made, and we talked about this briefly. It wasn't that when they sent him down that he was the worst player on the on in the lineup or on the on the worst hitter on the roster. It was they needed somebody else who can play first base besides Bohm, and that's why they kept Cody Clemens. I mean, Jake Cave brings a lot more to the table than Cody Clemens as a both as a hitter and as a defender. It was just that they felt that not having someone else who can play first base was was detrimental. But now you, you look at it and say, 
do we need to find a way to get, you know, I think I think once Harper's able to play first base, that Jake Cave is is back on this roster. I think that's a, I think that's and I think they told him that. I think that they wanted him to understand that this was not a performance issue. Just go down there, keep hitting, keep working. We'll get you back up here because it just was a it was a it was a structural line lineup structural situation, and that why that's why he got sent down. Now, we're recording this uh, early Friday morning, and Anthony has uh, a big press conference down it. Is that at the Wells Fargo Center? On the floor of the Wells Fargo Center. It is the dawning of a new era of Flyers hockey. And Anthony had a good story sort of defending, because I know there were some eye rolls when they hired Keith Jones. Anthony had a a good story. I don't want to say a defense of Keith Jones, but at least, hey, let's pump the brakes and and give this a shot. There's a good reason for it. Right. Um, But I digress. We're going to keep this show a little bit tighter, but I I do want to hit on at least two more things. Yeah. Maybe maybe three before we get out of here. So we'll probably end up rounding near an hour before it's all said and done. Um, Let me start here. Uh, and we'll get to Jose Alvarado because that's a, a big story. We'll get to that in a moment. But let's yeah. first start here with something that we talked about extensively on Monday. Bailey Falter. Bailey Falter, if if the Phillies' probable pitchers, uh, which they they posted on their site, if this is true, and I think it is, yeah, Bailey Falter is going to start Monday night against the San Francisco Giants in the opener of that three-game set. Yeah. Is this Bailey Falter's last shot? Is this it? Because one thing I do want to correct, we had said like, oh, they could go to Nick Nelson like th- this week. They couldn't. They they had to wait 15. When they took him off the injured list and activated him, he had yeah. to wait 15 days. Yeah, I, for- I forgot about that rule that once you once you come off the injured list and you got and you get optioned, you can't be recalled for two weeks. Yeah. So Falter throws on Monday night. Yeah. He would then his turn in the rotation would come through again uh, the following weekend at home against the Cubs. Is, is Bailey Falter pitching on Monday night for his job? I think so. I think so. I, I you know, the 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 argument that Thompson made was they want to just give him a little bit extra rest to see if they can get his velocity up a little bit because they feel like that's part of the problem. That right now he's just not throwing, he's not missing bats, um, and that he's a better pitcher when he can. So we'll see. Um, but yeah, I, you know the Giants are not a great lineup. Maybe that's part Giant, of it. Anthony, the Giants suck. They are <laughs> so so bad. They like, are bad. We have a, a six-week-old at home. Yeah. There's been some late-night TV. You, you, you've watched some of those games. I've, I've watched my boy Gabe. Um, <laughs> that team stinks, and they've actually run into some pretty pretty important injury issues here lately as yeah. well and they're poised that they, they that is a team the Phillies are embarking on a six game road trip in in two difficult venues where they don't particularly play that well historically but this is an opportunity over the next six games to to win a road trip yeah yeah I, I think four I mean four and two is a must I think five and one is a real possibility with we'll the, with who they're we'll playing say. I'm just saying I'm saying four and two is a, to me four and two is a must you, you I, better get two good starts out of Tywon Walker and when your Nolan Wheeler starts. If yeah, you're you can't, that. you can't be three. To me, you can't be three and three on this trip. It's not good enough. I really, I'm just being, I'm just being honest. Um, at some point, like at some point, mediocrity can't be good enough. Like we can't right. just, like, you can't. And we're not at Memorial Day yet. Like so, yeah. theoretically, if the Phillies go three and three on this trip, we can talk them. You know, next week and say, okay, like well, they're staying afloat. I know they don't have to make their move right now, but like, come on. 
You know, yeah. like these fans, I, I will say this. I tweeted this and like, it, I think it was like one of these tweets. I probably should have done it during the game, but like I waited till the next morning. Like that crowd, here's a take. That Phillies crowd on Wednesday was the, I believe the third smallest of the season. It was like 31,000 plus. Yeah. That crowd was awesome on Wednesday. Yeah. Like they were engaged. They were into it. Like when there was some noise in the late innings, like yeah. that would have been a top five, non opening day weekend, non fireworks, regular season crowd last season. How it would have. It would have. Five best crowds the Phillies had last year that weren't centered around fireworks or opening day. And, and certainly like any Mets fan infiltration that automatically right. gets removed. Like that, that crowd has delivered. And like they've shown up for this team now for two months based on what happened last year. This team needs to move now and give these fans a reason to like believe about what they're watching in 2023. So I'm with you on that. Yeah, I agree. I agree. So, but your original question, I went down a, a, a rabbit hole there um, about Bailey Falter. Yeah, this is, this is, this is it. I mean, I think if he has a bad outing Monday, I think that's it for him. Um, and I think that they go to the to the minors, whether it's whether it's Nick Nelson, whether it's Christopher Sanchez, whoever. Um, I think that a, a change is made in the rotation in that number five spot. Um, but yeah, he has to have a good start against the Giants come Monday. He really does. Otherwise, he's going to be sent back down. And he has an option left. It's not like they're going to DFA him or anything, right? It's but not the uh, end of Bailey Falter's career, but it right. would be the end of him in the starting rotation for at least the yeah near term. Yeah. All right. Well, my other question here that we, I think we have to address is Jose Alvarado. And anytime you hear, I, I think it started, he's playing catch on Tuesday mm. and there was some, I guess, what's the word discomfort in the wrist area. And then it turned into a, an elbow issue, um, some inflammation. They obviously, they get it looked at. Rob Thompson tells you guys after the game on Wednesday that they're encouraged by what the doctors saw, nothing structural, but they'll shut it down for a few days and then kind of reassess, get him throwing. But he's on the shelf for 15 days, no matter how, how this shakes out. Um, I guess, I guess there's two ways to look at it. Just based on the very limited information that we have about the injury, how concerned are you about the injury itself? And then the second question I'll throw to you is how equipped are the Phillies to handle the loss of Jose Alvarado, who has arguably been, one of the two or three best relievers in baseball through the first quarter of the season. Yeah. I mean, concern level, I'm not as concerned. And I say it this from this perspective. And again, this is, this is just having been around coaches and, and athletes for a long, long time. So we get in there and talk to uh, Thompson. It was interesting. It was such a beautiful day and they, they had us gather in his office uh, on Wednesday afternoon. And uh, the question was asked him about Alvarado, and he said, yeah, of course he's concerned. Yeah. Then after the game, he wasn't even asked. And he said, we got really good news on Alvarado. And it's like, okay, he brought it up without us even asking. It must not be that bad. If it was something that they were really concerned about, and get that information. <laughs> you're going you, you to have to ask, that out of my right? You're going to have to ask for it, right? <laughs> so the fact that he says, uh, you know, mild uh, inflammation, you know, and then you talk to Alvarado after the game and, and you know, they, it's funny because they had Diego there to translate. and But, you know, Alvarado can speak. He's pretty yeah. good with his English. And so Diego's only kind of like translating the questions and Alvarado's answering in English. And he's like, yeah, I'm just going to be shut down for a couple of days and then I'm going to start throwing again. 
And it's like, well, okay. <laughs> so if it's if it's just kind of like let something kind of quiet itself down and then get back into your throwing program and then get them back as soon as the uh, Ielston is over, then I'm not as concerned. As far as are they equipped, I think they are. And I think they are because we've seen good Gregory Soto. So he kind of bumps into that late-inning lefty role. Matt Strom continues to be great. I mean, we talked about him on Monday, right? Um, and so I think he kind of bumps into that middle or middle to late inning Soto role as the lefty there. God forbid um, you just have everything you want, right? Like God right. forbid there was a world where you had good Soto, new weapon in Strama, hell of a toy, multi-inning yeah. toy, and then Alvarado. But you can, yeah. this team can never have it all, right? Yeah. <laughs> but I'll t- I'll say this: the one other thing to add in is Craig Kimbrell. Man, I to, man, I did he look good? Last two outings after the, I mean, he imploded against the Dodgers, and we were like, "Uh oh, this is Corey Kniebel all over again." Right. And his last two outings were great. He was throwing ninety nine, and he went on back to back days. Yeah. That's uh, that's saying something. So he was he was juiced up on Tuesday night. And you're kind of like looking at the gun, and you're wondering like, "What are we, what are we doing here?" And and yeah. even when Gosman came out with some of his velo numbers on Wednesday, I'm like, "What's going on here this week?" You know, but. Kimbrell gets into the game on Wednesday, and and I'm glad you brought him up because we're sitting behind the plate. I, I have enough of a trained eye. I, I think I know what I'm looking at. Yeah. And Kimbrell's sitting mostly like 95, 96 on Wednesday afternoon, but everything was down in the zone, had life late to the plate. Like, I was very impressed with how yeah. Craig Kimbrell threw the ball on a back-to-back. I have no idea what the hell to make of him right now. Like, he was horrible. He was great for two weeks. He was horrible in L.A., and then he comes out against the Blue Jays' good lineup, and he was awesome. Yeah, I, like, I don't, I'm not ready to tell you that Craig Kimbrell is like, hey, he's in the game, it's it's over, like shut down, lockdown. But he's like showing enough where I'm like, this guy is going to contribute. The stuff's still there. It's yeah, the stuff's still there. That's and that's important, right? I mean, so you see it, and you know, you see you see him throwing hard, you see him having late life, you see the he's throwing his breaking ball for strikes, which is important. Because if he's not throwing it for strikes, then he's a one pitch pitcher, and then he then he's you know Max Muncy's hitting grand slams off him. Um, so yeah, I mean it's important. Dominguez is the guy that the one guy for me that I'm not certain where he's at. Like he, it's, I'm a little disappointed with what he's provided so far. He's had some good outings, but he's had some inconsistency. He got confused on the one play. I think Bohm kind of surprised. So afterwards, you know, in the moment, I was like, what the hell just happened? Right. And afterwards, it was, you know, he saw Bohm turn to second. And when he turned, he decided to look down at the base to make sure that he got his foot on the base right. and didn't realize Bohm was throwing him the ball. And that's what happened there. Sure. Right? So I mean, that's, yeah. that's what happened. But, like, you've got to have the wherewithal to know that the first baseman may pivot his feet back on a flip. Like, yeah. that's what he's looking at. He sees Bohm turn and the hips go towards first. And he thinks, okay, I need to set my feet and receive the throw back on the double play. But, like, you, you cannot drop your eyes off yeah. the first baseman there. But yeah. th- that being said, like, he threw the ball, I thought – I thought he was okay on Wednesday. I thought he was yeah. a little bit more aggressive in the zone as well. Yeah. Um, but he has not been, you know, he, like for me, like the assessment there is if you presented Sir Anthony Dominguez to me for the first time this season, I'd say like, okay, like he's a guy that, that I'll go to in the sixth or maybe the seventh and, and I'm okay with it. I, I'm not looking at him though. as this like lights out, slam the door shut, high leverage guy. Like he hasn't been that guy to this point. 
and I, certainly that's in there. We've seen it from him. We've seen it from him for, for multiple stretches throughout his still relatively young career. But he, you're right, has not quite been himself, uh, you know, so far. Yeah, uh, that, that's the that's the one guy where I'm like, man, if he could just get back to being being himself, then I'm really confident in the bullpen because I I, I do like and look, Brogdon's pitched really well, right? Other than when he pitches on back back to back days, that's when he gave up a couple of runs. But other than that, I think that he's been a really good uh, piece in the bullpen, and he's kind of been pushed. I mean, he pitched what was it, the eighth inning? On Tuesday, when when we first found out that Alvarado's got a thing, um, they put him into that setup role and went with uh, you know Kimbrel to close it out. So it's really kind of interesting to me, right? I mean, where where the bullpen is, and it's nice that they have the depth to deal with an injury like this for a couple of weeks, and that, that that's that's encouraging to me. Absolutely. All right. Well, uh, I think that kind of clears us out through all the Phillies talk. Do you have a uh, one last thing? Yeah, here? I do. And and, and it, it will tie back into something we were talking about with the Phillies. So we talked about, um, you know, Alec Bohm and, and his struggles. And, you know, and, and I, I say, well, you know, I'm a I'm a proponent of guys letting guys hit through, you know, their struggles and things like that. Interesting, interesting story out of Detroit. Um the uh, Tigers president, Scott Harris, was interviewed, um, I guess, prior to yesterday's game. And I'm talking about, you know, the Tigers are 17 and 19, right? And, you know, they've kind of been really good of late, um, really have only struggled against teams in the, against, in the AL East, but otherwise have been a pretty good team. They've been over 500 against the rest of baseball. And he was talking to reporters, and he credited, like, the Tigers' turnaround you know, this season that over the last couple of weeks or few weeks to the fact that AJ Hinch, their manager pulled uh, Javi Baez from a game um, in mid April for losing track of the number of outs there were and ended up running into a double play. It was a, a, a base running mistake that he made, um, pulled him and benched him. And it kind of like he and Harris was saying that kind of, you know, the way that happened and then the way Baez kind of responded to it, which was a positive response, um, kind of made a young team and, or, you know, kind of realize, hey, accountability is important, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And they've played really good baseball ever since. And so I guess the question becomes, is it possible that maybe if you take a guy out of the lineup, it might not have to be for a dumb play like like running into a double play by Javi Baez. But if you take the, take a guy out of the lineup for a game or two and, and kind of it's like I'm almost sending a message, does that work? And, and does the whole team respond to that? Or is that something where you sit there and say they're going to respond negatively and they won't, they won't like it as much? And, you know, it's, it's one of those decisions and discussions that you always wonder, is, is 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 it knowing your team, knowing your group before you make that call, or is it a situation where, like, hey, if we're if we hold one player accountable, we hold all players accountable, and everybody responds. So I'm just curious to see is that something you would think to do if if a guy continues to struggle? Yeah, I mean, I think it, it kind of comes down to like, it, are you talking about just if a player struggles, or if you're talking about a player doing something like egregiously? Well, I, I know it's yeah. Field. I mean, look, it's it. it the Detroit situation isn't exactly a, a direct correlation to the Phillies, right? I mean, it's certainly not. Although the Phillies have run into more outs on the bases than I think any team in baseball this year. Um, that being said, 
I, I'm, I, I guess there is a, it's a twofold approach, right? I mean, you could say it's, is it something based on boneheaded play and, or is it something based on the fact that you're just not finding your way, even you're not hitting your way out of your struggles. Like, I mean, I guess you can look at it from two different yeah. perspectives. I, I think what it really comes down to is how does the team, you have to know the personality of your team. I think you also have to know the, the way that the, the majority of the team feels about the player. And yeah. in the case of like, if you have a player where you know that privately they're like, man, he's a hell of a player and we need him to win, but like, what a dog, like in a, in a negative way or like, like we need, I just wish that like someone would kick his ass into gear because you know the players do that from afar like privately they might not talk about it amongst themselves and in, in certain corners of the clubhouse but they just feel like man like we just got to get a little bit more out of this guy so you you have that situation and I think that you appreciate the manager for acknowledging it and acting on it but if you have a guy that you know is just uh, 100 miles an hour all the time and he, he does something stupid on the bases or he doesn't run out one ball but you know that he's a grinder and that he's all in and that you go to war with that guy and, and then he gets singled out for something like that. I think it can have a negative impact on like the psyche, because I think as a player, like, you know, like when a manager does something from afar, you say like, he had to do that. Or you say like, man, that's bullshit. Like he just singled him out. Like, yeah. and, and you turn the other way. Um, when it comes to performance, like, I think it's, it's probably the same way. Like, I think there's certain players that obviously you give like a longer leash to, and you say, like, if a player wants to work his way out of it, like a Trey Turner says, I want to play every day. I don't want to sit down. But I do think it gets to a point where if you start to talk about, like, a multi-month run where, yeah, like, you might say, like, listen, this is why I'm doing this. I know you don't want that to happen. We're, we got to do it for the good of the team. And I think the players ultimately will respect that. So it, it's a fine line and every situation is unique. But – the way that I like, I, I look at it, especially if you have a young team, like an impressionable team, I do think it matters a little bit more. Right. You, this Phillies roster, like, I don't know who that player is that you're like, yeah, they, they better send a message to player A or, you know, player X because, like, the, the Phillies, like, that's going to shake up this clubhouse. Like, the Phillies are like a little bit of a different dynamic, I think. I think you're right on that. I think you're absolutely right on that. Uh, there's, there's not a player that you can sit there and say, we need to make an example of this guy. You know, and and kind of shake up the room. Like I, I don't, I don't see that with this roster. And it turns I, I, quick because, like the yeah. twenty, the twenty eighteen, the twenty nineteen, the twenty twenty Phillies, like the twenty nineteen Phillies. Like for me, was like the the all timer where I was like, this is the most. Like, I just felt that that clubhouse was so incredibly entitled. The way that that they walked around, the way that they talked, like that like as if they had arrived and they hadn't won anything they had never won there were a lot of guys that had underachieved and that team was begging begging for some accountability and there was none and i know that they weren't successful in 20 and 21 but i felt that it was going in the right direction at least yeah the 2019 phillies like man that was the team like that just needed a, a kick in the ass like any team had ever needed a kick in the ass yeah, and I think that I think that you, you know, my final thought on it is, and you mentioned this at the very beginning of the show, so this is kind of like a full circle, is that this team, whenever they seem to face adversity, figures it figures it out and finds their way, and they're able to stabilize. And so when you have that, when you have that as a as a gift, as a as a trait, right? that's something that makes it a little bit easier because they're holding themselves accountable in those situations. 
so you, you don't you don't feel like you need to make an example or or do something to 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 try and you know wake up the room so to speak because they they do it for themselves if it got to a point where they couldn't do that where they couldn't bounce get out of the problem you know the the malaise that they're in then maybe you do something but this team has always shown, or at least in the last year and this year, has shown an ability to do that, and that's probably why you don't. There's another team in this city that could probably use some of that before Sunday night. Um, <laughs> and isn't it amazing, like just based on what you're talking about, listening to what you just said, now thinking about, you know, what happened after that game last night. And I hear James Harden talking about no player has more foul calls missed against them than me. Yeah. It's a fact. You can look it up. He's complaining in the fourth quarter down the stretch. He, what a ghost must have tripped him, and he wanted a foul. Uh, you know, and B talking about like I didn't get the ball enough. Like, dude, it, it, like the the Phillies are they've won three straight games, and we just criticized the hell out of them on this show at different points. Yeah, so the Phillies are not exempt from criticism. But like you talk about what we saw from that Phillies team last year, and, and like the toughness and ability to respond. Yeah, versus what I see and have heard from the Sixers the last number of years. Night and day. Night and day. Uh, maybe the Sixers figure it out before Sunday night, but I, I still think not. they. I still think they will. I this do. year's different, huh? I still think they will. I said in the. I told everybody in our Slack chat. I said Sixers in seven. Now I didn't think that they would win two games in Boston prior to Game Seven. I'll be honest. I didn't say look at it and say, oh, they're going to win three games in Boston. Um, but I did say Sixers in seven. And I'm going to stick with my pick, my prediction. Um, just like I stuck with my prediction that the Mets would fall apart. And here they are again behind the Phillies in the standings now. They're now. Yeah. Uh, as we record this show, yeah. uh, the Phillies are ahead of the Mets and could be in second place with a Marlins loss and a Phillies win tonight. Yes. Yeah. So things, things looking up and things, out looking, down for, things looking down for, for New York, which is always a beautiful thing. Yankees in last place. It's people are like, when you look at the Mets, like people are, are starting to talk like, Trading off pieces at the deadline, like they're too old. Go ahead, look, do take it. Take a look at their month of June too. Like the schedule <laughs> is relentless for them in June, and yes. you start to look at it, and you're like, man, like they might be in a lot of trouble. Yeah, a lot of trouble. Love it, love it. You, you so. hate to say it. All <laughs> right, well, for Anthony Sanfilippo, I'm Bob Wankel. You can follow us on Twitter. You follow the show at Up Phillies. Uh, you can follow Anthony on Twitter at Ant Sam Philly. Oh, that's not that one. Go ahead. I can, put the wrong thing on the bottom. Go ahead. And you can follow me on Twitter at Bob Michael CB. You can check us out on YouTube, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, anywhere that you listen to shows online. Uh, be sure to check us out there. We will be back on Monday and we will talk to you soon.